Welcome to Educate to Self-Regulate, a podcast for educational leaders, teachers, and students, where in less than 20 minutes, we unpack educational research to support you and your students to become better learners. Hey, Rory. Good to see you again. Cheyenne, we're back. Mate, we're back. What's What's been happening? Uh, I, uh, but this is the, the, the first podcast recording since doing my Gold Coast Marathon. And while I'm very happy with my my time, I managed to get a 15-minute personal best, which is something I should be and I'm very happy with. I Congratulations. Help thinking about, thank you. I couldn't, I couldn't help but think about the amount of self-regulation that I had to do as I was going through it. I carried a bit of an injury into the marathon and I thought, oh, if I can get to the 30-kilometer mark and that be whenever things start to get tough, I'll be happy with that. But at the 16 kilometer mark, that's whenever I started to feel it. And so I felt myself sort of reframing. I don't know if that's the right term, but my expectations of success, because there were uh, some pretty catastrophic thoughts going through my mind at the 16 kilometer mark. I was like, just finishing. It's probably going to be the best that I can hope for. And then I just started segmenting things, the marathon down into smaller steps, smaller goals, get to this point, maintain this pace and managed to get the whole way through but uh turning with the last five turning into the last five kilometers and getting slapped in the face with a massive headwind was also not a very enjoyable experience but great it's a great battle in it of the mind mate well we grow in uh, challenging situations right so what a fantastic opportunity to practice self-awareness but also the self-talk strategies <laughs> that you have developed in the training and lead up to and then putting that into the actual marathon and you got a pb which uh i don't know but i wonder what you've been doing <laughs> uh so actually it's it's my last week in melbourne uh i've been here now for three months and rian marlo and i we're heading back to canberra uh, and right now i'm in the depths of creating online modules for my collaboration with the Association of Independent Schools and the ACT. I have the, the pleasure of working with seven schools and part of that collaboration involves access to online modules and an online platform uh, where they can deepen their learning about some of the self-regulated learning concepts we talk about. Uh, so I've been yeah in the thick and thin of um, video recording, editing, uh, online module creation, and it's been taxing. But I'm well. I was going to say there's probably a lot of new learning involved. There's a few things there mentioned. You mentioned in regards to the editing and the recording of videos. Do you find yourself learning on the job? Well, you know, actually, it's funny. I was chatting with an educator friend who um I got to sort of just review some of the modules from a um like an instructional online design perspective, and he had such great. This is Robin Irvine. He had fantastic feedback for me. I thought that um, too. It, yeah, and, an and, old colleague of ours. <laughs> uh, Rob said, which we had a conversation and it was so good to, to get his feedback because I'm so immersed in it that sometimes, uh, you know, it's hard to get out of your own head and think about the design. But because I'm also creating a lot of the content from scratch, informed by the research, but a lot of the content is still my interpretation and subjective ideas around the pragmatic application I realized, you know, as educators, we often have a lot of resources that we draw on. And so we can really think about the design of the learning experience. But because I was so in the depth of creating the content that I hadn't actually created space for me to think about the experience. And so it was really good to get Rob's perspective on that because it reminded me of, okay, now I have to shift away from just thinking about the content 
to thinking about the learning experience. I've got no doubt the uh, final product will be of very high quality. I'm not an ACT teacher, obviously, down here in Victoria, and I'm sure lots of our listeners are not ACT teachers. If anybody who was listening wanted to get their hands on any of these modules, do you think that that's going to be a possibility in the future? 100%. Yeah, this this year's been um, you know part of that collaboration, but I'm currently working in the background to uh, open up more publicly so i'll keep you posted and of course rory would love to have you on as a reviewer anyway if you're interested and you can give me some feedback it's very get yeah. some early access yeah yeah for sure uh, anyway let's get into the the episode all right so in the last episode uh we talked a little bit about utility value as that was something that shy had front of mind because of some of the work that he was doing uh outside of the podcast And today we're actually going to talk about something that is front of mind for me, but still most definitely falls under the self-regulated learning bracket. And that is retrieval practice. It's probably a term that lots of our listeners will have heard before. But the reason why it's front of mind for me is my school are currently engaged in a research project with uh, the University of Queensland to try to develop teacher knowledge and essentially student knowledge also of high quality learning strategies that they can use to become more effective learners. As a, as a member of the research team at school, I'm currently in the middle of planning a professional development series that's going to run throughout the term for retrieval practice. So we thought well, we would talk about it today on the podcast. Fantastic. And I, I have to admit, I'm very interested in hearing about well, A, more about the research project and perhaps more the learning that's coming out of that and how your, I guess, your conceptual knowledge and thinking about retrieval practices is evolving, Rory. And it is evolving because before this year, I wouldn't consider myself to be a retrieval practice expert, guru. I, I suppose I used retrieval a bit in my classroom as any sort of teacher would, but before this year, I really didn't have a solid retrieval practice built into every element of my lesson planning. And I know that in sort of schools that are highly focused on the direct instruction approach or explicit instruction, that specific use of retrieval is almost like a, um, it's like a non-negotiable, I would say, as an effective learning strategy. So I think a lot of schools could be moving more towards that and i have to admit when i have conducted workshops and mentioned retrieval practice particularly with some of the secondary educators i've worked with my perception is that secondary school teachers feel like they're already doing quite a lot of retrieval practice in their classrooms and and we spoke about some of you know how does it manifest in a classroom and particularly in the secondary years you know you do see practice like right now i think most schools are on on holidays or ish and um you know, they're doing practice exams. So there's a sense or a level of retrieval practice that's weaved into that that structure. <laughs> but that would be, I suppose in what I've been reading about it, that is for the purposes of assessment. Whereas retrieval practice that you will use um, in, sorry, did you say exams or did you say practice exams? Practice exams. Yeah. All right. So yeah, then in that case, yeah, it would be, re- it would be retrieval practice. Um, and most schools will do that at some stage as they're preparing students for exams. But I suppose 
what I really wanted to to do as a both a member of the research group, but also in supporting st- other staff who are coming to be a part of this research project that we're doing, is to um, identify the importance and the benefits of engaging in retrieval multiple times a week over a consistent period of time where the staff are making decisions about what is the most important core content to cover in a class and then engaging in different types of retrieval to consistently bring the most important information or learning in that class or in that curriculum across the year to front of mind for the students. So I suppose we should like start by discussing what retrieval practice actually is. Retrieval practice is a really broad term that kind of an overarching term that relates to um, a student or a learner finding or retrieving information from long-term memory and bringing it back into conscious thought. So there's lots of different ways that that can be done, whether it's via multiple choice questions, whether it's via free recall questions, whether it's being given a, a blank diagram of a cell or something like that in science and having to annotate the different parts or explain what the features of the different parts are. There's multiple different strategies that can be used for retrieval, but retrieval practice is the act of retrieving something from long-term memory that has previously been learned and trying to bring it back into conscious thought in your working memory so that you can then use it to do something with. And my understanding is that in the past, we as educators have dedicated more time to the encoding process as opposed to the retrieval process. And so just to clarify, when we're we're talking about encoding and retrieval, we're talking about how information is wired into long-term memory. And so yeah. encoding might be, you know, that initial reading of an article. And we've spoken about encoding strategies such as annotating readings and um, organizing knowledge and rereading things like that. I think that uh, something's just a light bulb at the moment is just switched on in my brain there because you said that teachers can be more focused on the encoding process and in class you're doing more readings and discussing and things like that. In one of the readings that I was engaging with yesterday, they kind of alluded to that as being a reason why students choose less effective study strategies outside of the classroom. So they concentrate on almost re-encoding because maybe that's what a lot of what is happening in the classrooms is almost like value signaling. So because there's lots of reading and encoding of information, that's what they're doing outside the classroom because that's what they think will help them but in actual fact, there's multiple studies that show that re-highlighting, rereading, rewriting notes is not as effective as retrieving information from long-term memory that has already been stored there. That makes that makes total sense to me because I think to the retrieval practice structures that we have, or at least that I've observed in schools in the past, it has, you know, if I think of it from a secondary lens has typically been like checkpoints or your practice exams that happen in preparation for an assessment, but it's not talked about on a daily or a weekly basis as a really effective 
learning strategy. As a learning strategy. A revision strategy that's only prioritized in preparation for an assessment piece. Um, And I think that's perhaps that's the shift. And that's something that I feel like it's one of the things that we're working on as part of our project at school. So there's two sort of things that we're aiming to target. The first is developing teacher and student awareness of retrieval practice as an effective learning strategy on the different ways that you can retrieve things. But the second thing is in using retrieval practice strategies in the classroom as a teacher, saying, for example, I if I'm starting off the lesson and I'm saying, you were my student, I would say, okay, we're going to start off with three questions. And these questions relate to what I believe the most important information from last week's learning was. Okay. And I want to see how much you can remember. Instead of just starting the lesson in that moment or starting the, the activity, to then go on and explain to the students about why retrieving information is actually really helpful for learning. So going into running a little script saying, oh, one of the best ways that you can actually embed information in long-term memory and make it more accessible is by the act of retrieving it. That's why we're doing it. You can also do this at home when you're revising for assessments or whenever you're testing your own knowledge is by engaging with questions or filling out empty diagrams or doing a sequence of events or a timeline in history, whatever it might be, but you're actually telling them, developing their metacognitive knowledge around their brain and how it works. And that doing that as well as doing the activity actually equips them to be better learners in the future. And that's like a real nuanced difference. And I feel like that's what will make them hopefully more self-regulated because they have the knowledge about why the learning strategy is useful and how they can use it by themselves outside of that learning situation. So the transfer is there rather than just doing it in class with Mr. Mac or Mr. Barr, because that's what they do in their classroom, but not knowing why it's done. So just to clarify, there's having the opportunity to engage in retrieval practice, but actually it's the part that comes before that, which is both, uh, explicitly teaching retrieval practice and mental processes uh, that underpin retrieval practice, but also you touched on the value of retrieval practice for learning. And uh, for any listener who listened to our previous episode, when we unpacked task values and utility value, um, really that's what a lovely connection because we're talking about the usefulness of retrieval practice. And and it just reminds me of that strategy that I shared in the last episode, Rory, the for future me strategy, which, you know, if if learning retrieval practice now will help me in the future how, you know, getting students to think about how their engagement and with retrieval practice is going to help them in the future. I think that's a nice connection, a nice alignment between some of these constructs. Let's take a lot of boxes. Yeah. So so tell me, Rory, I'm curious. Um, you know, what so obviously that's that's one I, I guess teaching strategy teaching approach maybe have you got one or two more that you can share with us that that you're seeing as effective approaches well there's one thing that uh some of the prep teachers are uh, that are part of our research team are it's a strategy that they're planning to use with some of the lower like or the younger age students at school um 
they're thinking about introducing retrieval as the retriever strategy. So actually either having like a picture of a golden retriever or actually having a teddy bear in the classroom. And, you know, they might retrieve things like letter sounds or blends or phonics and things like that, which they will do as part of every single literacy lesson that they probably have all year in sort of prepping grade one. Um, but in doing that, they can also talk about how other using the retriever strategy to try and find this important information in their brain. And that's what's making them or helping them to remember it so that as they can grow up, as they grow up, they can think, oh, if I want to learn something, I need to use the retriever strategy. Yes. And that could then be used to go in when they're doing their number facts or their times tables. It's just, I have to keep retrieving it with the retriever in order to be able to remember it long-term. Which and is pretty I love, powerful. I love that because that shifts it from retrieval practice being a teaching pedagogy to retrieval practice being a self-regulated learning strategy that essentially our young people become equipped with and can use if and when yeah. um, they choose. Yeah, so I think that's great. Now, in the essence of time, Rory, on the reg, how are you using this stuff in, in your life? I have to be honest with the uh, with the listeners. I actually, in preparation for our talk at the national education summit a few weeks ago we talked about it in the last episode of how much of a success, a success it was uh i actually used the episode that we recorded where you talked about using self-regulated learning to overcome public speaking i went back and listened to that episode and you talked about using retrieval practice as a way to memorize your ted talks um and I had never done that before for public speaking. I'd always read, reread. It was less cognitively demanding, but I thought that it was helpful. I thought that it would work. So this time I obligated myself to section off the slides or the sort of areas that I was going to talk about in our presentation and purely practice it from retrieval. And it was so much more demanding. It made me feel so much more uncomfortable, but it actually helped me learn it so much faster, which was really useful because I also have my reports due the same week as we were getting organized to do the National Education Summit uh, talk. So time was at a premium. Mate, and if the feedback from the conference is anything go by, you absolutely nailed it. So clearly a very effective strategy. It's good to hear. Um, I guess retrieval practice on my end, um, I would say that I've, um, particularly in the consultancy kind of realm or educational partnership kind of realm, I've shifted from being a consumer of information to much more of a creator. Um, and I think creating has almost a retrieval practice embedded in it. When you start creating, whether whether I'm writing a blog or I'm creating a podcast or I'm creating a video, I'm relying on my knowledge to communicate new information or my thinking about that information. And it becomes yeah. apparent in that communication whether or not I actually know, know what I'm talking about. Um, and so I guess I'm, it's, it's almost embedded in the way that I think and engage in this sort of creative process now. So um, it's perhaps not as clear cut as yours, but I feel like retrieval practice is, is a foundation for the way that I create now. Well, it's funny that you say that because I use this podcast in a similar way to me and that it, it, I wanted to do this with you in order to keep going over information from my learning in my master's so that I didn't forget about it. So this was a perfect opportunity to do that. And I feel like it's very similar to what you're talking about. Cheers, mate. Now, uh, that brings us to the end of this episode. Another fantastic one. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. See you soon.
If you are a new listener to the podcast, make sure you share it with friends, save it or subscribe. Um, if you have any questions, and we really want to hear from our listeners, if you have any questions or comments, send us a DM through either of our social media channels, which is Twitter and Instagram, at ed to self As always, to you and everyone else out there, keep regulating.